Good morning, friends. Welcome to church. Great to have you here today. My name is Tim, if we've never met, and I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Community Church. And today we're wrapping up this series called Words to Live By. And what we've been saying in this series, if you've missed part of it, is that in the Bible we find parts that we love, parts that we fear, parts that confuse us, parts that inspire us, but every... uh, Dot and iota in the word of God is the word of the Lord, and it isn't possible to separate Jesus from the Bible. This is the written word, and in Jesus we find the living word of God. So if life in Jesus and what Jesus has to offer is what your heart longs for, then we can't discard the Bible and keep Jesus in any meaningful way. So with that in mind, next week when you return, we're going to begin a brand new teaching series in the book of Hebrews. Uh, And let me just share with you the, the very first verse that we'll read together next week. This is Hebrews chapter one, verse one. It says this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So I just share this to say, here's an example of the written word, the Bible pointing to the living word, the Lord Jesus, to say this is what uh, this is all about. This is why the Bible matters in the first place, because in it we uh, are brought into relationship with the living word. And whatever it is that you're looking for, this is what we'll be uh, teaching about through the book of Hebrews. Whatever it is that your heart longs for, whatever you're looking for, you will find it in the living word, Jesus. So we're excited to begin that next week. But before we do that, just one more week in words to live by, okay? Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 is one of the most famous, maybe the most famous, verses about the scripture that we have. And it goes like this. If you were here last week, for example, I shared about my friend Jason, who first challenged me to begin engaging with the Bible on my own. If you were here, you remember that. I sat in the government documents section of the library, and that's where I learned how to pray. I believe this is one of the first verses he ever challenged me to memorize as well. So here it is, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. That phrase, breathed out by God, is just one word in Greek, it's, and it's worth knowing. Okay, I'm gonna, who's ready to learn a little Greek this morning? Okay, it's the, yeah, thank you, one person. Uh, it's the Greek word, theopnustos, theopnustos. God breathed. Paul's saying that the written word of God was brought into existence by the breath or by the spirit of God. In Greek, Uh, The word for breath and the word for spirit are the same word. So here again, just another example of scripture teaching that it exists because of the spirit of God. So the written word of God proceeds from God the way your breath proceeds from you. To speak, you have to breathe. try, Try speaking right now without breathing and good luck. Now Paul is not saying that 
God has lungs and that he breathes physical breath and he has physical vocal cords. It's just a really great image to help us to picture where scripture finds its origin and where it finds its root. It, it comes from God. He is its source and, is, and its author. And that's why Jesus says every dot and iota uh, has the same authority that God has. To ignore the scripture is to ignore God. To discard the written word of God is to discard God. And this also means that because it's the word of God, the, the scripture cannot err, it cannot falter, and it cannot fail. Because God can't do any of those things. And I know that that raises a whole bunch of questions then about translations and aren't there discrepancies between manuscripts? Absolutely there are. I'm, I said in the first installment of the series, we're not going to get into all that because it's been beaten to death. All of that information is out in the open. A simple Google search. Maybe you shouldn't use a Google. It leads you to some weird places. It's easy to find that information. And I can tell you with a, a very, very high degree of certainty that what you have in your laps this morning is what God wants to communicate to his people. Has everybody got that? Every word of scripture is breathed out by God. And is profitable for helping us to do the things God has made us to do. Now, why didn't we start this whole series here? Uh, all scriptures breathed out by God finds its origin in God. That would have, it's an extremely clear scripture. Why didn't we just start here? It could have been a one week series and then we could have moved on to other things. Well, first a couple things. Number one, uh, at some point you're going to be told that the doctrine of scripture that we've been teaching about for five weeks is just, you know, it's, it's just found in a few proof texts sprinkled throughout the Bible, and we wanted to show you that that's not the case. Paul is not saying anything new in 2 Timothy. He's just summarizing for us in a really clear way what scripture's been saying since Moses. And we wanted to show you that what we believe about scripture is rooted in Jesus, not in a few scriptures scattered here and there. We trust the Bible because of what Jesus says about it. The only reason we care at all about 2 Timothy 3 is because Jesus said that Paul is an apostle and an apostle speaks for him. Otherwise, we wouldn't even have this. And the main reason, though, that we wanted to wait on this is to show you the context in which this most famous scripture about scripture is rooted. And the context is this. 2 Timothy 3.16 was written to a young man to encourage him to stick with the scripture. Stick with the Bible. Verse 14. Continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. Don't trade away the precious gift of God's word in a vain attempt to find security or peace or acceptance somewhere else in the world. As we come to this this morning, I, I hope that, uh, I hope I'm able to speak to everyone in the room, but especially to students, okay? If you're a university student or a teenager or just a young person, you've been on my mind very much this week, and I just wanna say that every mature Christian that you admire at some point in their life, has had to wrestle with whether or not they're going to give this book 
ultimate authority in their lives. And so will you. And every generation has had to face and will have to face its own challenges to the authority of God's word. Some of those challenges we've said endure for a long time, sometimes for a stretch of three or 400 years, and some only last 20 years. We've talked about that in this series already. But you are going to see each challenge come along and sweep away friends and then move on. And you're going to start to think, am I the crazy one that I'm still trusting in the written word of God? Am I the one that's been misled? Have I, am I the one that's been misinformed? And I know, as we come to the end of this series, that there is just no way that we could cover all of the questions you're going to encounter in five weeks. The most we can do in five weeks is skip across the surface of these things. And we know that, that facts and data we've not had time to share are going to be presented to you someday through a really cynical lens. We know that new discoveries in archaeology and cosmology and literary criticism are coming that we can't even imagine yet. We know that theories and half-truths that we have no way to plan for are coming soon. Uh, in Last night, last night, Getting ready for the sermon, I came across an article, I was looking for something else, I came across this article about the, the split happening in the Anglican church right now, I don't know if you've heard about that at all, but I read the, the most slanted, paternalistic, half-baked nonsense, I, I mean it was just mind-boggling, I just thought, you know, have they read the New Testament? But now it's out there, it's on the internet, and now it's true. And it's going to be turned into really amazing Instagram videos. And by next year, it'll be a part of every freshman seminar in the university system. There's just no way that we could prepare you exhaustively for everything you're going to encounter. And so we're, I just want to close with this thought. To please, please stick with the scripture. Whatever comes at you in the next... 50, 80 years or whatever God gives you. Stick with the scripture. And I want to just show you three reasons that Paul gave to Timothy to do that. And then we're done with this series, okay? Now I need to begin with an apology. Uh, I realized once again far too late this week that I had bitten off far more than we can chew with the scripture reading today. So I'm really not going to talk much about verses 1 through 9 which has all the most fascinating questions, and we're all just going to have to get over that. I'm sorry. Okay, can you forgive me, and we can move on? I really thought we're going to have this amazing... I only have time to talk about three things. So we're not going to talk about all those fascinating things in verses 1 through 9. But three reasons to stick with Scripture. The first one that Paul gives is that Scripture will endure. Now, he doesn't say it directly, but it's implied... In his comments about Jonas and Jambres in verses 8 and 9, okay? So look at verses 8 and 9. Here's what it says. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. Now, Jonas and Jambres are not names you've Maybe heard of before, that's okay. This is the only place they're mentioned in the Bible. 
But Jewish tradition has always taught that these were the names of the chief magicians in Pharaoh's court who opposed Moses and sought to make him look silly. Now, we may not think much of the the position chief magician, but in their context, it was a position of high rank. They were very powerful. It was believed they had some kind of special connection with the gods, and they did some cool stuff. Uh, they, They could do some magic tricks, and there was at least the appearance of spiritual power there. But they opposed Moses, and they opposed God's word, and they opposed God's messenger. And they tried to make him look like a silly fool. And what happened then is, in Jewish tradition, Jonas and Jambres became the archetype of what Paul describes as the appearance of godliness without power. They, uh, they looked like Uh, people who should be able to do amazing and powerful things, but God simply wasn't in it. And Paul says in verse 9 to Timothy, don't worry about them. They won't get very far. This is not, uh, you know, a na-na-na-na-na kind of statement. Uh, Look at us, we're so amazing because we have the Bible. This is just a simple reflection on the nature of God and the facts of history. God is God. And therefore, if this is his word, we should anticipate that it will endure. You can burn it, you can ban it, you can twist it, you can suppress it, you can hide it. It's not going to work if it is the word of God. Paul says in chapter 2 verse 9, the word of God cannot be bound. It can't be chained. People, on the other hand, Isaiah says, are like grass. Okay, this is Isaiah chapter 40. He says, people are like grass. And all their beauty is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But but what? But the word of our God endures for a week. Is that what it says? (laughs) For a few years. Forever. It endures forever. Jesus says the same thing about his own word. This is another reason we believe Jesus is God. He says in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So here we are on the other side of the world in the St. Croix Valley, Hudson, Wisconsin. It's 3,800 years later. I would, you know, bet that virtually every single person in the St. Croix Valley has probably at least heard of Moses. Maybe maybe they haven't even thought about it much. They've at least heard of Moses. Maybe they've seen one of the cool movies out there about Moses, and some have studied him for years. I bet there aren't a ton of people. You go go out to lunch today. You ask your waitress, tell me what you know about Jonas and Jambres and see what kind of response you get. I'm willing to bet there aren't a ton of people who know who those two guys are, but in their time, well, they were big cooties. And people believed that they were powerful, they had a special connection with the God, but I I bet you, you won't find anyone in the St. Croix Valley who can tell you what kind of magic they did, or even tell you the names of the gods that they represented. Although at the time, they appeared invincible. Why should we stick with the scripture. 
because everything else has an expiration date. Everything else is going to become irrelevant. Ideas and theories and ways of thinking that are obvious and unassailable to one generation are nonsense to the next generation. You know this. Please keep this in mind then. The next time that someone tries to save you from your obsolete, out-of-date, and irrelevant Bible. Please keep this in mind the next time someone tries to save Jesus from the Bible or wants to save the church from the Bible or warns you about being on the wrong side of history. People are grass and all their awesomeness is like the flowers of the field. They look amazing for like three weeks and then they're gone but the word of our God will endure forever. As we speak here in Hudson, Wisconsin this morning, all around the world, the word of God is being translated, read, sung, and loved in more and more languages by more and more people all the time. Here are just a couple of anecdotal observations just from this week, okay? So this is not intense or deep research. This is just from this week. I saw an article this week about renewal and revival in the churches in Ukraine. Even as they lose their buildings and their pastors are killed or sent to the front lines or something, the church in Ukraine is experiencing renewal. I saw a picture uh, this week of a seminary in Kiev, Ukraine that has opened its doors to host night classes and said anyone who wants to come and learn to handle the word of God more effectively, anyone who wants to come and learn to do ministry, come and we'll train you. People just don't have the headspace anymore for long, drawn-out seminary programs. So just, just come and we'll teach you to study the Bible and to do ministry. In the picture, it's a room about half the size of this one with rectangular tables and chairs. Every single seat full. As far as I could tell, all of them young men, they all looked about 19 years old. The article was saying that they go out in the day and they pull people out of rubble and they try to help find food and they fight on the front lines and then they come and they learn to study the word of God. On Thursday this week, the latest issue of Christianity Today arrived at my house. There was an article there about Nepal. So this is a quote from the article. It says, in 1951, when modern-day Nepal was founded, there were no known Christians in the country. Proselytizing and conversion were prohibited, and the first Protestant church was established a year later by Nepali Christians returning from India. By the early 1970s, there were about 500 baptized Christians in the country. Evangelism carried a criminal sentence of three years in prison. By 1990, there were an estimated 50,000 Christians. Last year, the Nepal Christian Community Survey counted roughly 800,000 believers gathering in about 8,000 congregations. And the article talks about how women especially are the ones sharing the word of God, woman to woman. 75% of the people in these churches are women. Here's the last sentence of that article. One of the women sharing the gospel with friends says, their lives are automatically transformed 
And when their lives are transformed, the difference is noticeable. Those are just a few stories from the last week. These are easy to find. But if you look across history, the pattern is it's clear and it's simple. Wherever the Bible has been received as the word of God, the church has flourished, sometimes in the presence of tremendous adversity. And everywhere it has been laid aside, everywhere the Bible is not treated or received as the word of God, the church has withered on the vine, sometimes in the presence of every conceivable advantage. So if you're concerned about being on the wrong side of history, stick with the scripture. Stick with the Bible. Because it, it is never going to stop. I can imagine that some of the false teachers named by Paul in 2 Timothy. So 2 Timothy is an interesting book because he names a lot of names, which he doesn't often do. But I can imagine people like Phygelus and Hermogenes and Demas and Cretans. I imagine they were a force to be reckoned with in Timothy's day. There is a reason Paul names them by name. I imagine them pretty charismatic, persuasive speakers. They would have had thousands of followers on Instagram. I can imagine Timothy felt pretty weak and small and irrelevant. No one cares about Demas and Cretans anymore. And nobody ever names their children Phygelus or Hermogenes. But I know a lot of wonderful Timothys all over the place. Because the word of God cannot be broken. And if you want to be a part of something that endures, build your life here. And it will not fall. It has endured and will endure to the end. Second reason to stick with the scripture. Paul gives it to us here in verse 14. He says, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, this, this reason is a little surprising because of its complete lack of sophistication and its incredible simplicity. But Paul is saying, stick with the scriptures because you know me and you knew your grandma and you know your mama. See, it's just the utter lack of pretension and cynicism that makes it hard to take this at face value. Trust the Bible because your grandma said so is not an argument advanced often in the American marketplace of ideas. Is that fair to say? Trust the, trust the Bible because your mama read it doesn't gain a ton of traction in public debate, but that's what Paul says. And we live in a world that sneers at that kind of thing. We live in a world that is deeply suspicious of authority, and we are drawn to new things like moths to a flame. Now, I know this is not the case for millions and millions and millions of people. It's certainly not the case for, for those who are coming to faith in Jesus in Nepal right now. Uh, others, you know, unfortunately, when you read verse 13 that talks about imposters going from bad to worse, immediately you think of your Bible-believing, church-attending parents who hurt you or are hurting you. 
But even when our own families play no role in our journey of faith, someone did. You're here because someone you trusted lived a life of godly integrity before you. And you learned to trust Jesus from them. And Paul is just saying, were those people crazy? Were they dupes? Were they naive? Were they provincial? Are they worthy of your scorn? I thought about bringing my grandma's Bible this morning, but the, this isn't strong enough to hold it up. It's, when she died, every one of her grandkids got a Bible that she'd worn the cover off of, filling with notes. I can still picture my grandma sitting in her chair with the Bible open in her lap and a notebook on the arm listening to R.C. Sproul on the radio. She was not a naive person. She wasn't a fool. She was full of good old common sense. And she loved Jesus. People like that are not to be scorned. They're not to be thought little of. But to ask yourself honestly, can I, if they trusted this, can I and should I? I know that there have been a ton of misuses and abuses of the Bible, yet it endures. And that cannot simply be explained by power dynamics and Marxist political ideology. It endures because it tells the truth. And it actually changes people. And has been doing so for thousands and thousands of years. There's this narrative out there right now that says resisting, you know, received revelation. Receiving the religion of our parents. Or rejecting the religion of our parents, excuse me. It is a brave, edgy, daring thing to do. Rejecting the authority of faith communities that have guided us thus far is an authentic, heroic thing to do. I would just submit to you that exactly, the, at this point in our culture, exactly the opposite is the case. Abandoning received doctrine and the authority of a faith community in favor of self-styled Follow your heart spirituality where you get to decide what's true and who gets to speak into your life and things like that is squarely within the mainstream of a consumeristic culture that a long time ago decided self is the center of the universe. This is how one author uh, puts it. He says, declaring your freedom from Christianity's constraints and old-fashioned ideas about sin and morality is simply to nod along with Oprah and her vast tribe of suburban moms. To disown a God of limitations, boundaries, and wrath in favor of a God who only wants to fund your best life now is to join the ranks of frat boys obsessed with Joe Rogan. The radical choice in our context is to keep the faith. I'm talking about true biblical faith that doesn't just affirm us or our politics or our inclinations about life, but presses us from every side to actually conform us to Christ in a genuine living relationship that is outside of our control. In an intensely 
consumeristic world, the person who resists the urge to curate their own self-made spirituality and instead brings herself under the authority of the written word of God or brings himself under the authority of the Jesus who actually has been revealed to us, that person is the radical now. And that person will find themselves in touch with something that is genuinely otherworldly. If we don't stick with the scripture, we will be enslaved to whatever cultural wind is blowing. But if you want to live a life that has the flavor of heaven, that is genuinely different and genuinely makes a difference in the world, stick with the scripture. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy here. Stick with the scripture because only it will endure. Stick with the scripture because you know from whom you learned it. Finally, he says, stick with the scripture because whoever you are, wherever life takes you, whatever happens to you, you will move from strength to strength and beauty to beauty and depth to depth. The written word of God, the scripture, serves a very definite purpose. And Paul says its purpose is to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. That's his job. It is not going to tell you how to fix your car. It is not going to tell you how to file your taxes. The purpose of the Bible is not to make you smarter or richer or more relevant. It is not going to tell you where to live. It's not going to tell you what job to take. It's not going to tell you who to marry. It is not going to fix all your problems. Everybody got that? What it is going to do is to help you know enough about God that you would fear him, that you would behold his awesomeness and his holiness, and then to know enough about yourself to know, I am in trouble. And then it will move you to seek Jesus and find him. And then to look to the cross as the only hope for what you have done and what you have become. The purpose of the Bible is to restore you to relationship with God, to equip you with everything that you need to do the good works God has called you to do, and finally to bring you home. So the you know, we've said this several times in this series, the Bible is a lamp in a dark place. Someday the sun is going to come up, and all those other questions that you would like answered will be. But this, the job of this book is to get us home and to equip us for every good work while we're here. And if we trade that away for something that's more relevant or more interesting or shinier or new or novel, we absolutely lose Christ. Today when people talk about a new Christianity or new theology or new morality and the need to move beyond the Bible, that's not new. That's verse 13. Evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. When people warn churches, you know, you need to change the message if you're going to be relevant, there's nothing new about that. This is old as Jonas and Jambres, and no one cares about them anymore. Stick with the scripture. 
The parts you love, the parts you hate, the parts that inspire you, the parts that confuse you, the parts you understand, the parts you don't understand yet, that's what a real relationship is like. Have you ever gone out with a girl? Have you ever gone out with a girl? This is what a real living relationship is like. Stick with it. Grow with it. Know the living and true God, not the one that you make up in your mind. All scripture is breathed out by God. And is, and is useful for making you wise for salvation. It's been a while since we said this, but this is a phrase we used to say frequently. God has made you for this day, and this day was made for you. God has good works that he's prepared for you to do, and now we're seeing in 2 Timothy 3 that the Bible is what he's given to equip us to do those good works. We were not made to hide. We were not made to fear, but to stand in the midst of the storm. You want to change the world? You, you, you want to stand in the storm? You want to bear fruit that will last? You want to move from strength to strength? Then stick with the scripture. At the end of his Sermon on the Mount, This is the most famous sermon in history. This is the way Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. That's the, that's the choice that Paul lays before Timothy and lays before us this morning. What will you build your life on? And will it last? I'm just going to invite you to pray before we wrap up this whole series together. We've been inviting you throughout the series just to ask the Lord, what is the next step that he's inviting you to take with his word? Is there anything that God is inviting you to do to engage personally with the Bible on your own or in a community? I just want to invite you to ask that question right now. And if there's any resolution or commitment that you've made, would you just commit it to the Lord this morning? Father, we commit all that's been said in this series to you. God, would you do the speaking now? Would you do the teaching and the leading? Would you do the calling and equipping? Father, would you make this church a place where we love your word, where we are trusting it and growing in it more and more each day? God, would you raise up out of this church a new generation of Bible readers, Bible lovers, 
people who are meeting you in your word. Would you honor every attempt that's made in the coming weeks and months? Honor every attempt that people make to meet with you in your word. Would you show up for them, speak to them, and lead them? We ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Let's stand and sing.